And I'll seek God's blessing upon our reading and preaching of the Word of God. Shall we pray together? Merciful, gracious God and Heavenly Father, once again we gather ourselves and our children together for worship. And as we now prepare to go to thy word, we pray bless us and accompany us by thy spirit. Bless us in this sacred, holy hour of worship. Speak to us, speak through us, prepare our hearts to hear and to appropriate the gospel. And then help us to go from here with a song in our hearts and a spring in our step to shout it from the mountaintops that Jesus lives and Jesus reigns. We pray that it might be in thanksgiving that we hear thee speaking to us. Plant that preached word deeply into our hearts and our souls. We pray thee, Father, illumine our hearts and our minds. We pray descend upon us by thy spirit in this hour. Brood upon our hearts. Make them receptive and responsive to the gospel's joyful sound again this afternoon. And that, Father, in this worship service, guide us, we pray thee, by thy word and by thy spirit. We pray that in thy light we might see light, and that in thy truth we might find freedom, and that in thy will we will discover thy peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We confess that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from thy mouth. Make us hungry for that heavenly food, we pray. May the preaching of thy word nourish us today in the way of eternal life through Jesus Christ, who is the bread of heaven. We pray that by thy spirit it might please thee to open our minds so that as the scriptures are read and as the word is proclaimed, we might be led into thy truth and taught thy will. Help us, we pray, so to hear thy word that we may truly understand and that in understanding we may believe and in believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking thine honor, thy glory, in all that we say, all that we do in this worship service, in his name, for his sake, and in his merits we pray in the forgiveness of all our sin. Amen. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, a very well-known portion of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, and I want to read the verses um, 19 through to the end of verse 34. So that's 19 to the end of the chapter and our text will be framed in verse 33 so Matthew chapter 6 beginning to read at verse 19 and here we hear God's word as follows do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
they neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And our text for this afternoon is framed in the words of verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he once again add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we listened as Mark, the evangelist, said, at the time of John the Baptist, by the time that John the Baptist was cast into prison, Jesus came preaching the kingdom. And now in the words of our text of this afternoon, these words are taken from Christ's actual preaching of the kingdom. In our text of this afternoon, Jesus is now literally preaching and he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And, and, there, and here, as it were, in this one verse, we have the very essence of the gospel. In this one verse, all of the essential characteristics of the gospel are set before us and emphasized for us. This is particularly true when we take this verse in its setting and in its context. Follow this with me. In verse 31... Jesus says, do not worry about what we shall eat or what we shall drink or how we will clothe ourselves. For after these things the Gentiles seek. And we need to remember now that here Jesus was preaching to the Jews. Our text is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And although he was speaking primarily to his disciples, myriads of Jews also thronged around him to hear what he had to say. And so properly understood, Jesus was preaching this sermon to Old Testament Jews. But more importantly, he was preaching to people who had the Old Testament scriptures and who regarded themselves as the people of God. They were people who considered themselves to be concerned about God and his righteousness, and they would acknowledge two kingdoms in the world, but to them, The division among men in the world was not between those in the world and those in the kingdom. No, according to them, the distinction was national. According to them, there were only Jews and Gentiles. And according to them, the division of the two classes, the two kinds of people were the Jews who had religion and the Gentiles who did not. And what Jesus now sets out to do is to show them that they were right about the two kingdoms, But these two kingdoms were to be identified not nationally, but philosophically. Jesus says, indeed, there are only two kingdoms. And then Jesus explains that these two kingdoms have radically different views of life. He taught that the gospel he was preaching was altogether different from the gospel held and propagated by the Jews. In fact, it was altogether different from the gospel held 
uh, from anything that had ever been conjured up within the hearts and minds of men. And the same is true yet today. There are only two classes of people in the world. There are those who know, love, honor, and obey the gospel, and those who do not. And these two classes are easily distinguished because the Christian way of life is not just slightly different from any other, it is radically and essentially different. Christianity is something that stands alone and is unique. People go, in order for us to do justice to our text this afternoon, we must begin with acknowledging that the trouble with men and women who have not embraced the gospel is not just something superficial. It's not a question of a, a, non, a non-believer, an unbeliever, simply <coughs> simply adding something to their lives, thereby transforming them into Christians. It's not a question of an unbeliever pulling himself up by his bootstraps and changing his lifestyle into, into something resembling Christianity. That is, that is simply called something called behavior modification. It's something one can do for themselves, but becoming a Christian is not something that a person does. It's not a matter of going to church. It's not even a matter of joining a faithful church. Proper church affiliation is crucial in God's plan of redemption, but that in and of itself is not what makes one a Christian. No, no, it is impossible for one to make himself Christian. What separates those two kingdoms, those two different kinds of people, is not something that is outward behavior. The deficiency, the difference between the Jew and the Gentile, or if you will, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is deep, radical, and radically profound. That now is why Christ begins with, seek ye first. Seek ye first. In essence, Christ is saying, if you want to see the kingdom that I am preaching, if you want to enter into the kingdom I am preaching, then you will need much more than outward religion. In our text, Jesus says, this is what must happen. First of all, he's concerned with first things first. My dear people, so many people seem to think that the difference between Christians and non-Christians is that the one is simply morally a little bit better than the other. Christians have added something onto their lives, and now they begin to do certain good things. They no longer do certain bad things. And it would be my conviction that that is even the philosophy taught in many so-called Christian circles today. Children and adults alike are taught that if they would only modify their behavior, if only they would live Christianly, then they can be or become a Christian. But according to what the Lord will teach us here this afternoon, such thinking is utter foolishness. It's not a matter of outward conduct. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus puts his teaching of the kingdom in the context of the heart. In verse 21, he says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He is saying that the difference between his teaching and all other teaching is that kingdom preaching addresses the heart. And the heart, we know, is the very center of our being. It's not an addition or something superficial. The heart is essential to life. Then to make it even more clear, he speaks also of the eye. He says, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The eye, too, is a central organ of the body. What Christ is saying here is that man's problem is not in a finger or a toe. 
Man's problem is not something on the surface or superficial. No, man's problem is in the very center, the very core, the very essence of his being. And that's an important point to keep in our minds as we consider the words of Christ this afternoon. For what Jesus is concerned that we know is that the very, the very organ that motivates men and women, the very organ that drives them and gives them life, the very principle that motivates man's life and living is itself in trouble. What the human race needs is not just to be new and improved. No, no, no. In order for men and women to be transformed from that one kingdom into the other, more than outward water baptism is necessary. To be transformed from a son of Adam to a son of God, infinitely more than a, a tune-up or an adjustment is required. That's the view of the, of the humanist who believes that the condition of man and the world can be improved through social action. Better housing, more jobs, better opportunity for education, or as, as, as a former president of the U.S. said, a chicken in every pot, plumbing in every house, and a car in every driveway. That's the answer. That's the cure for the troubles of our world, says the secular humanist. But our Lord here says, no, 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 no. A thousand times no. He says, men and women don't need to be improved they don't need an overhaul or an adjustment. They don't need a simple coat of paint on the outside. Even as important as water baptism is, he says more is needed. No, no, it's the inside. It is the heart. The heart itself is wrong, and that needs to change first of all. First things first, says our Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. My dear precious people of God, Christ here is teaching the very essence of the gospel, the very essence of religion. Men and women in the world are in trouble, but the trouble is not superficial, it's not cosmetic, it's not on the surface. It is substantial, it is radical, it is profound. Men and women, even men and women born within the covenant, even men and women who have received the mark of the covenant in baptism, even they need more. They need to be radically changed from the very foundation, meaning from the heart. It is as John says, men and women must be, men and women must be regenerated. Many women need to be given a new heart. Men and women need to be born again. I want to administer God's word to you this afternoon using it as my theme, first things first. We will identify the first priority, and then we'll also learn how to acquire that priority. First things first. We'll identify the priority, what needs to be first, and then how we are to acquire, how we are to become in possession of that priority. People, God, remember with me now what we heard from our Lord this morning. We turn to Mark chapter 1, and we heard it announced that after John the Baptist had been cast into prison, Jesus Christ came into Galilee preaching, the time is fulfilled. And our Lord's claim there was that he was the Son of God come in the flesh. The long-awaited promise of God had now been fulfilled. Christ came into Galilee preaching, and the message that was preached by him was something radically new and different. It was a divine message. It was a message that had never been considered in the hearts of natural men and women on the earth. What our Lord came to say was that because of the fall in the Garden of Eden, all men and women by nature now have a wrong view of life. That is why the Jews were, or at least were supposed to be, they were supposed to be different from the Gentiles. 
They were the ones who, who supposed that they had religion. In their view, they were not in the same kingdom with the Gentiles. No, they were Jews. They were, they were the sons of Abraham. They were of the circumcision. In New Testament language, we would say, they would say, we have been baptized. And on that basis, they identified themselves as God's people. But, 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 says Jesus, if that is so, then your concern or your hopes and your objectives, they should be so much different from the hopes of the Gentiles. He says, do not worry about what you will eat or drink or wear, because those are the things, those are the things that the world is concerned about, but not Christians. The natural inclination of the Gentile was to, well, was to do as he thought right in his own eyes. In effect, our Lord is saying there, it's, it's your view of life. It's your view of life that determines how you live. And consequently, if your view of life is wrong, then all of your living will be equally wrong. We hear that in his words, if your eye is bad, then all of your life will be darkness. Gentiles, or if you will, those who have not embraced the gospel of the kingdom, they do indeed seek certain things, but they seek the wrong things. Their priorities are wrong. It's often said that you can know a man by the company he keeps, but in this context, in the sphere of spirituality, it would be right to say that our Lord is saying to the Jews, you can distinguish God's people from the world by taking note of their priorities. Congregation, in another place, our Lord teaches that a tree is known by its fruit. And here he is saying the same thing, but in different words. He's saying, you can identify Christians by observing their priorities in life. People identify themselves by priorities. The kinds of things that come to expression as men and women live this life will tell us volumes about their spiritual condition. And people of God, we all know what our Lord means here. And when I point a finger at you, I'm pointing the three, back, three or four back at myself. But I, I say this not to be critical, but we've all been faced with situations where we've had to choose priorities and the decisions we made was often the wrong one. And that decision identifies to a large degree the condition of our heart. For example, we've all had certain months where our expenses exceeded our expectations. And then with a limited amount of money, we had to make choices. Where then did we choose to cut back? Was it perhaps in the work of the kingdom? Or sometimes we had to make certain choices about Sunday observance. We knew where the Lord wanted us to be, and we knew what the Lord wanted us to do, but that other opportunity seemed so attractive and so important at the time, and so we said to ourselves, and to, perhaps even to our family, it's such a beautiful day here at the campsite. I think we will skip church this afternoon. We can worship God and his creation. We don't need to be in church to do that. Or we said, you know what, if I leave on my vacation on Sunday, we can get in an extra day and the flight is cheaper on Sunday. Sometimes in the sphere of business, we had to make decisions. Sometimes in friendships or relationships, we were faced with certain choices. Sometimes that gorgeous creature we wanted to date or perhaps even marry didn't share a like precious faith with us. How then did we choose? Did we choose for Christ? Or did we choose that which was a priority for us? Oh, we can multiply those examples a hundred times for ourselves, but the point of our Lord is, that he's making here is quite clear. First things first. 
according to our Lord, then the problem with the world is that it is convinced that they know better. They know for themselves the way to happiness. They think they know what they need to achieve happiness in this life, and then they, they set their hearts upon achieving those things. The philosophy of the worldling is, if only, if only I can attain to these certain priorities, then all will be well with me. But then, what are those priorities? Well, the Lord lists them for us in the scripture passage we have read together. And they are as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. The things that men and women then and the things that men and women today strive for in order to find happiness are still precisely the same things. And those things will only bring sorrow. Our Lord makes it clear. Do not lay up yourself earthly treasures. What are those treasures? Well, first of all, the word treasure itself gives us a clue. Money. If only we can have enough money then life will be better, life will be good. And then we set about striving to obtain enough money. Our Lord continues, food and drink. I really can't be happy unless I know that I will have enough to eat and to drink. Then also the matter of clothing. What shall I wear? What what clothes do I need to, to, to have to be in step with today's fashions in order for people to notice me? If only, if only we have these things, money, food, drink, clothing, then life will be so good. People are going to capture this with me now. Our Lord here says that these things, they are the things that the world strives for. He says the Gentiles worry about these things. And for them, their concern about these things makes logical sense. Why? Because they consider themselves to be only bodies. They see themselves only as physical beings and not spiritual beings. Congregation, in that sense, the people of the world, the Gentiles, the the non-Christians, they are no different from common animals. Animals, too, are concerned only about food, water, and shelter, but for them that is correct because animals, animals, animals have no souls. But for man, that is altogether different. Man alone was created in the image of God with a body and a soul. Our Lord also mentions length length of life as another earthly priority. Who of you can add one cubit to your life? And yet, that's a worldly concern. And oh, in and of itself, care for the body is not wrong. It is required of us by Scripture. We have every right and reason to praise God for medicine and doctors and hospitals. But asks our Lord, is that what you are living for? To strive for long life on this earth? Is that a priority for you? That's what the Gentiles do, says the Lord. These are the things that the world strives for, food, clothing, money, long life. Those are the priorities of the world. Again, our Lord teaches that these things in and of themselves are not wrong, but when they become your first concern, when they are your priority, then you will become a slave to them, and then these earthly things will become your master. They will become your God, and they will ultimately destroy you, perhaps forever. People of God, Shakespeare once wrote, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. And what he meant, of course, is that those who are at the top of the heap, they're always looking over their shoulder, anticipating, worrying that it will all be taken away from them. Those who have so much live in constant fear of losing it. They've worked so hard to acquire all kinds of material goods, and now they live in constant fear and unease of losing it again. Will the stock market tank? 
taking all of my investments with it? Will mortgage rates continue to spiral, making it impossible to buy or even keep my own home? Will the economy continue to decline? What if I get laid off and lose my job, my income? And that now, says our Lord, is how the world lives, seeking all of these things, striving after them, acquiring them, and then worrying if they can hold on to them. Men and women become slaves to those earthly things, and a slave cannot serve two masters. Our Lord points out a better way. He points out the only way to true happiness. He says, first seek, first things first. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added as well. In other words, Christ says, don't do what the world does. Don't strive after those things, but seek first of all righteousness. Seek first of all to have a correct view of life. Seek first of all the right priorities. Seek first of all the kingdom. Our Lord says, take no thought to your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. Our Lord wants us to know that we are more than simply physical bodies. Men and women are more than just physical beings that need food and clothing. You see, says Christ, men and women were created in the image of God. They're not animals. They're not just bodies. They are also spiritual souls. And that's where you must begin your first priority. People of God, hear me well. Your first priority in this life must be your immortal soul. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where we need to begin. Be concerned, first of all, said Jesus, about your eternal, immortal soul. That must be your first priority. But just what does he mean by that? And again, he points us the way. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor gather, and yet God feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field. They neither spin nor toil, and yet look at their beauty. That's it, that's it. The Lord is saying to his audience, your first priority needs to be to start to think about, to think about, to think about God as the sustainer and the provider of the world. Men and women of the world don't do that, says Christ. No, men and women of the world are concerned about food, clothing, shelter, money. But what fools they are, because in all of their frantic searching for these earthly treasures, they completely ignore God, who has made and feed the birds of the air, and who has made and clothed the lilies of the field. And yet, foolishly, they never give a single thought to Him. People got to begin to capture this with me. The Lord is saying... Jesus is saying, the world has it all wrong. If you consider first things first, if your first concern is God, then you'll be right in your view of life because then you will realize that you are utterly dependent upon the same God that feeds the bird and dresses the lilies to feed and to dress you. That's why the world is as it says, says, is as it is, says Christ. If only, if only men and women believed in, in God's sustaining grace and providence, then there would be no anxiety about food, clothing, or wealth. There would be no jealousy, no envy, or rivalry. All men would be living for the glory of God, but because they do not, they set up for themselves all these other idols, and those earthly things become their gods. The meaning then of seeking the kingdom of God is that men and women must first of all acknowledge and confess the reign of God in this world. That means then whether we like it or not, all men and women are under the watchful eye of God and we are all under his government. 
And as the creator and sustainer of all things, he is able to bless us beyond our wildest imagination. Why then are we not experiencing these blessings? It is because God's covenantal blessing rests only upon those who are righteous. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. My dear precious people of God, that is the first thing that men and women need to discover. Fallen women, fallen men and women, they need to know God. Before men and women can expect his blessing, they must be in possession of his righteousness. So then, says the Lord, know this first of all, because you are a man or a woman, because you are not an animal but a responsible human being, because you are living your life under the control of God, if you truly believe that, then you will realize that food and drink, clothing and shelter and all the rest, these things really don't matter. Because the day is coming when they will have no interest or value for you. They're only temporary. They're only transitory things. You may be interested in them now, but try, try once offering food and drink or fancy clothes, expensive gifts, or even great wealth to, to someone on their deathbed. They'll not even thank you for them. They will be abs- there will be of absolutely no interest to them. Their priorities become so much different, and they will even probably ridicule your efforts to console them with these baubles. Therefore, says the Lord here in our text, therefore, live your life like that person on their deathbed. Realize already now, make it a priority. First things first, seek ye first the kingdom. Know then the all-important, the all-inclusive, The all-encompassing need is a correct relationship to God and to his Christ. Seek that first of all, and then all other things will be yours as well. See to it that you get into the kingdom. Flee from the wrath of God, which is sure to come, because one day it will not be possible to escape or to avoid a righteous, holy God who is coming again to establish a kingdom where only righteousness will dwell. Seek that first of all. But then the question becomes, how? How can I come to be in a position where God will bless me temporally and eternally? How can I attain membership in that kingdom he's talking about? And our Lord has the answer. He says, seek ye first the kingdom. Did you hear it? Did you hear that? Jesus says, if you want to be in the kingdom, seek it. Strive to enter into the narrow gate. Strive with all of your might and main and your being to be righteous in the sight of God. And I can almost hear your confusion and your question. That doesn't sound right, Domine. You mean I have to work for it? Doesn't the Bible teach it? that it is all of God's electing love in Jesus Christ? Is Christ now here saying that it's not of grace after all, but of works? People of God, Jesus is not contradicting himself. Here in our text, his words are clear. He says, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. And that's precisely what we are called to do. Seek it. Work for it. Strive for it with all of our being and determination. And that kind of seeking will lead to finding. Follow this with me for a moment. I don't wish to be misunderstood. Our first priority 
is to recognize that God is holy in all of his ways. And he commands of us to be holy in all of our ways. God cannot tolerate any duplicity on our part. Light and darkness cannot live together before God. And therefore, if we hope to be in the kingdom, we must see to it that we are righteous. And you know what that means. To be righteous means to be sinless. So if we hope to be in the kingdom, we must see to it that we are sinless. That's what we must strive for. But then as we set, set about to become that, we begin to realize that we begin to realize the hopelessness of our efforts. But as we go on, we, we, we go on seeking, we go on trying, we go on trying to achieve that holiness. But the more we try, the more anxious we become because the more we try to find our way, the more we try to make ourselves sinless, the more we recognize the impossibility of achieving it on our own, the more we try to live a life of holiness, the more we become conscious of our inability and failure, and then, and then our despair drives us back to Christ, drives us back, and we hear him saying, seek it, seek it, and we try again. We try even harder, and then we see the hopelessness, and we see ourselves being further away than when we first began this journey. And so we return to him in despair, and we cry out, Oh, Lord, I cannot. And then we hear him saying, Precisely, you cannot achieve it on your own. Therefore, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then our hearts begin to beat in anticipation. There is another way. I can't do it. I can't achieve this righteousness. I can't make myself sinless. I can't make myself a Christian. It's an impossibility for me. But now as we hear Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your anxious heart and soul. My dear precious people of God, capture this great comfort for all of those who are seeking to enter the kingdom. Capture with me here what these seekers will find. Christ says, in your desperation, in your fruitless trying to achieve your own righteousness, come to me. You are trying to make yourself righteous, and that's the obvious thing to do if you want to enter the kingdom, but you can't do it. Therefore, once you realize that, then come to me. And congregation, it is only after we've been frantically trying to earn our own salvation. It is only after we have come to know the impossibility of our striving that we then, in desperation, turn to Christ. And it is only then that we hear him say, listen to me. I will tell you, we heard it this morning, the gospel of the kingdom. I have come into the world, says Christ, and I have lived the law in your place. I have borne the punishment of your sin on that cross in your stead. Repent now of your own wrong priorities and then let me clothe you with my sinless righteousness. That's what we hear from the sweet voice of Jesus today. Salvation is all of God and it's all of grace. It is only for those who earnestly and desperately seek him Only those who truly seek him will find him. Do we have to earn our righteousness? No, that will not be possible. Do we have to work for it? 
ask. That question is to answer it. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find the kingdom. It will not be possible to receive the righteousness of Christ without asking for it. It will not be possible to have heaven's portals opened without knocking on the door. It will not be possible to find the kingdom without seeking for it. But, 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 those who work, those who knock, those who ask, those who seek will find the kingdom of God and all other blessings will be theirs as well. People of God, the most blessed result of this seeking and finding is that it will radically change your whole view of life. Whereas before you live to eat and drink and strive after material well-being, now, although you still need and use these things, you do so simply because they are essential to your earthly existence and no more. Now you do not care if you are a pauper, for you are rich in God. You are his child. You are an heir to the kingdom. You now no longer care if you move in high circles and are well-dressed and respected among the well-to-do in the world. No, you would rather be with the beggars who know and love the Christ. Oh, indeed, once men and women have entered the kingdom, their whole view of life is radically changed along with their priorities. Men and women who are in the kingdom and have his righteousness are those who know that they live in this world, but they are not of this world, and therefore they do not expect much, nor do they need much from this dark world, for they know that they are on their way to glory land. They have an inheritance undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved for them in heaven by God for all who have his righteousness. Such people jubilantly sing, in heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear, and safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may rage about me, my heart may low be laid, but God is round about me, and I cannot be dismayed. Do you hear it? If you are in the kingdom, then nothing else matters. You have made it your priority to seek it, you have found it, and now the world no longer has anything that interests you. You will fear and lack nothing, not even at the hour of your death, for you know that for you, your death is not death. It's simply a culmination of all that you have sought, and it opens heaven's portals for you. People of God, seek then, find then first of all the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then begin to enjoy already now the blessings, the great blessings of the Father. Shall we pray? Father, along with the hymn writer, the psalmist, we cry out in doubt and temptation, I rest, Lord, in thee. My hand is in thy hand, thou carest for me. My soul with thy counsel through life thou wilt guide, and afterward make me in glory abide. All that forsake thee must perish and die, but near to my Savior most blessed am I. I make thee my refuge, my Lord and my God. Thy grace and thy glory I publish abroad. My God, I will extol thee and ever bless thy name. Each day will I give thanks to thee and all thy praise proclaim. Amen.